Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Good morning, everybody. Really glad to be with you. I've, I've been here once before, so I recognize some of your faces. I think it was for an evening service, if I'm remembering. And thank you for welcoming me this time, like you did last time. Uh, both times I've been with you, I've just felt your welcome and love and support. So thank you so much for making room for me to be with you today. I love your pastor, Landon, his wife, Morgan, their family, um, and I love, you know, what's happening here at your church and, um, you know, the good things we hear, the good stories we hear. So um, I'm glad I got to step in. Landon uh, messaged me and said they were going to be out of town. It sounds like they're having a good time and asked if I would uh, step in for today. It's my honor to be here with you. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. Um, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Um, not too long after uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which I understand that you just finished a series on the Beatitudes. So someone asked me, are, you know, did you come in with a Beatitude message? Wouldn't that be unfortunate if I came in with a message that you just heard? <laughs> so I did do enough research <laughs> to know not to do that. So we're just going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 10, and I'll read from it in just a second. So you saw that uh, one of the hats I wear is uh, what's called the church multiplication director here in Western Pennsylvania. Kind of a funny term. It sounds like a math term, and actually, I'm really bad at math. Um, didn't do well in math in school. Um, but the role really has to do with equipping emerging leaders and um, seeing them step into mission in their communities. And we just think that the inevitable consequence of people being on mission in their communities is something that's called the church. And uh, that can look like a bunch of different things, especially in the day in which we live. Um, but it's our joy to see you know, new work start all over Western Pennsylvania. So actually just yesterday, I was at one of our church plants um, east of the city that just got started in the last year and a half or so. I'm not going to have time to share the whole story, but just to give you a picture of the kinds of things that are happening. I showed up at an event at this church plant, not completely sure what it was going to be, and I walked in, and there were probably over 100 people there from Central America, from nations like Honduras and um, Costa Rica and Ecuador and, you know, places in South America. Um, and we are just kind of experiencing this, that relationships take us into pockets in our communities that maybe we weren't even able to see before. Uh, this afternoon, I'll be with one of our church plants north of the city um, that worships in Arabic every Sunday. And they've been doing a lot of really, really great work, especially among immigrants and refugees that have come into the city of Pittsburgh from places like Iraq and Syria. And uh, every time I'm with them, um, we are just hearing really great stories about what God is doing. Um, so I just get the, the privilege of walking beside these leaders. It's not as if I'm the one planting the churches. 
Um, I'm really just supporting them and equipping them and giving them what they need. And a lot of days, I'm like, I can't believe I get to hang out with people like this, you know, who are doing these things. Um, I don't know how much you know about the history of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Western Pennsylvania, the family of churches that this church is, is a part of. But our family of churches was started in part in Western PA because there was um, a special move of the Holy Spirit that happened in the city of Pittsburgh over 100 years ago. And the accounts from those meetings that happened over 100 years ago was that sometimes God's presence was so strong in the room that people weren't able to move for long periods of time. They'd be on the floor for long periods of time, unable to move just because of the weight of God's presence. Well, why does God visit us in those peculiar ways sometimes? Like, what's the point of that? I can tell you the point, like it was in Acts chapter 2 um, and the day of Pentecost, we have these encounters with the Holy Spirit because they always lead to mission. And um, a whole lot of churches were planted over 100 years ago out of that move of the Holy Spirit that happened in Pittsburgh. For, for some number of years, I had the privilege of pastoring one of those historic churches in Aliquippa called the Gospel Tabernacle, and my family's actually worshiping there today. And um, the Gospel Tabernacle got started because some people heard that the Holy Spirit was doing something in Pittsburgh. And over 100 years ago, I think like 107 years ago, um, some people went up the Ohio River by horse and buggy to visit that meeting, uh, encountered the Holy Spirit there, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then came back just touched by God and started to meet in the neighborhood where my great-grandparents lived. They were steel workers in, in uh, Aliquippa. And that neighborhood was mostly steel workers. And they started a little prayer meeting and eventually the Christian Missionary Alliance heard about this and wanted to support what God was doing. And out of that emerged a church called the Gospel Tabernacle that's still serving its community. Um, I tell you that story because over 100 years ago, most of our churches were not being planted by professional clergy. Um, you need to understand this about our story as Alliance people in Western PA that most of our churches were not being planted by professional clergy. It was ordinary people, steel workers, who got touched by God, started praying in their neighborhood, started seeing God do something, and then out of that, a new church emerged. You know, eventually the alliance was like, oh, we should support them, and they started sending these young pastors, often very young leaders that they were training up, who were also getting touched by God in these meetings, and they would send them out a lot of our churches got started with those kinds of stories, just ordinary people who encountered God and started praying. So when I came into this role, I was like, I want to see God do that again. You know, raise up ordinary people with all the creativity of God in their own communities, um, you know, getting encountered by God and then following him into the world on mission. And, um, and I want you to know that's exactly what we're seeing happen in Western Pennsylvania. Um, I could stand here today and just tell you stories. I love these flags. A lot of our Alliance churches, it's the same at the Gospel Tabernacle where I pastored for many years. A lot of our Alliance churches hang up flags like this. It's kind of an Alliance thing. Um, and I'm utterly committed to the proclamation and demonstration of the Gospel around the globe. But you should know that God is doing it here in Western Pennsylvania. 
I've been in places like India and Nepal and Sri Lanka and seen God moving in phenomenal ways. I could stand here and tell you stories of healings and deliverances and all this kind of stuff, but I want you to know I haven't seen anything in South Asia or West Africa that I haven't seen here in Western Pennsylvania. God is the same God everywhere. These stories aren't just for overseas. They're happening here, right? The little group of disciples that I've been a part of over the years in Aliquip, I still live there with my family. We like to say we're in it for the stories, which is to say that we expect that God is working among us and that we have stories to tell of his goodness and faithfulness showing up in our communities, right? And that this word begins to spread that Jesus is alive and he's working and moving in our communities. Um, before I read from Matthew 10, I just want to tell you as we were sitting here singing, um, I just had a set of memories coming to my mind. I, I grew up in the Alliance. I grew up actually at the Gospel Tabernacle where I ended up pastoring. But in those years, our church was really struggling, to be honest. For about 30 years, that church really, really struggled. And uh, before anything turned around, before anything changed, there was just a lot of really hard decades. But I remember as a young man in a very broken family being part of that church, and there were these times where we just sensed, I, could, I probably didn't have words for it, but I just sensed that the Holy Spirit was like doing something in the room. It's like, oh, God is here. Like, God is always here, but it's like, oh, God is here, right? And in some of those times, God got a hold of my heart, young, you know, and um, and faith started to rise in me, started to give me eyes for mission. And I'm just only saying that to say, not to talk about myself, but just to say that I feel like there might be something like that in the room today. Even if it's just one or two people, if there's something that's being said in the message today that for you is like, wow, I want that. Like, I want to be, you know, activated and following Jesus on mission. I want to follow him to the neighborhoods and the nations. Um, if that's you, then I would love to pray for you at the end of the service. I'm not going to, we're going to take communion at the end of the day. It's not like I'm going to do an altar call or anything. But um, if you uh, just feel something stirring in you, and even if you have trouble putting words to it, just find me at the end, and I would love to pray with you for a minute, all right? In the kingdom, we get to give away what we have, right? So I would love to, to pray over you. Okay, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 10. I love this passage. A lot of times, the, I think this is my first time preaching here on a Sunday morning. A lot of times when I come into a church, um, I turn to this passage first, kind of my first time with a congregation because it's just something that God's put on my heart over the years. And um, I love Matthew 10 because we kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at how Jesus trained and worked with his own disciples. So you're going to see at the beginning of this passage is kind of the description of Jesus' team. And then he sends them out on mission, and we get this behind-the-scenes look of how he talks with them and preparing them for the mission that he's calling them to. So to me, like Matthew 10 is gold because we get to see how Jesus did it, how Jesus spoke into the lives of his disciples and mobilized his disciples. Um, and I think this is still how Jesus is doing it in the world, right? He's still calling people to himself. He's still sending them. And when I read Matthew 10, I imagine Jesus just in this rhythm 
of uh, training with his disciples where he's calling them to himself, speaking stuff into them. They're going out and doing it and then coming back and debriefing and then he sends them out to do it again. And I think this is how Jesus did life with his disciples for a number of years. I don't think he was just calling them together in a gathering like this just to preach to them or something. There was this learning and doing, learning and doing, and the breakthrough often comes in the doing, right? And so he would send them out to do it and then call them back and they would debrief it. And we have examples of that in the gospel. So that being said, let's begin reading in Matthew 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. And we're going to stop there, but honestly, the rest of the chapter is gold. So we could, we could preach a few messages. We could do a series off of Matthew chapter 10, but I'm just going to stop at those verses for our time today. I just want to pull out for you a few things that I see in how Jesus interacted with his disciples and calling them to the, to the mission of God in the world and then how he released them. First of all, it's interesting that this name, these names of disciples are, are listed. Jesus calls to himself, and this is my first point, that Jesus calls to himself a family on mission, right? That it is not the intention of God that we should be part of the mission of God alone, right? That he calls us to a family of people. Now, this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but if we were really to dig into the names that are listed here, we would see, and you've probably heard this if you've spent any time in the church, that this is a really unlikely family, right? These are not people who just have like affinity with each other or something. They're not just like friends with each other. They wouldn't hang out probably normally if it wasn't that Jesus, this man, hadn't called them to himself and to his mission. These people represent different kinds of backgrounds. We know from the Gospels as we read their story that they have different kinds of personalities. Uh, these are people who represent different political positions and different stations in life. These are pe this is like a powder keg of relational conflict and angst. But this is the family that Jesus calls right, to be on mission with him. And we know that Jesus had more disciples than even these 12. These are his inner circle, but there were men and women named as disciples who followed him as well. And so he calls together this very unlikely family, right, to follow him in the world. And I would say that this is still what Jesus is doing. When he calls us to his mission in the world, he puts us in a family. And I don't know about your experience, but mine is that when that family isn't just about having the same likes or having the same politics or having the you know, same culture, when it's about Jesus 
alive among us, calling us to himself, that that family ends up being a very unlikely family. Some of the people that God has put next to me in mission are people that I'm not sure I really would have been friends with if we hadn't have had the common experience of hearing Jesus' voice, right, calling us to himself. But there have been times over the years, I live in a little uh, row house on the main street of my community, and in the early part of our story, uh, really precious part of our story, there were these years where we would just gather in each other's houses in this hurting community, and we would just pray every Sunday night. We were just praying, asking God for, to do something new among us, right? Asking um, God to do things that we had read about in our Bibles but had never seen with our eyes. Asking that Jesus, you know, would show himself to be alive among us, begging God to do something. But I, I can remember times looking around that room with a handful of people that I was praying with, thinking I would die for these people. Like really, that's what I felt, like I would die for them, you know? as we prayed for our community. I knew they would die for me, right? Something deeper was happening than us just being friends. I also remember that feeling different than what I maybe had experienced in church to date. It, the depth of that kind of relationship felt different to me. It, it kind of dawned on me that a lot of what had been called the Christian community and church was really just friendship with people who were mostly like me. Right? Like we kind of had the same interests, and church happened to be one of those interests kind of thing. Right? But when Jesus calls us to himself to be on mission, there's a new kind of depth of relationship that happens, right? Like God makes us a family. I think still today, he puts us on a team. He, he gives us a family as he calls us on mission, right? And so he does that here for these disciples. So, first of all, he gives them a family on mission. Um, secondly, um, he gives them what I'll call designated territory. He says to them in verse 5, Do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message. Now, there is like a theological reason for Jesus' instructions here that has to do with salvation history, um, that God had worked in a special covenantal way over hundreds of years with this particular nation of Israel. Of course, God's plan was always to include all the nations, but he worked in a particular way with Abraham and his descendants, and through that line came the Messiah, Jesus. And, and for that reason, the mission of Jesus, the mission of God in the world begins among the Jews. And this is a theme that you can read about in the New Testament. But I think there's also just a really practical side to what's happening here. Jesus is just saying to them, hey, don't go too far because you're in training mode. Eventually, he'll tell them, go to the ends of the earth. Go, run, as far as you can go, right? Go. But right now, he's just saying, don't go too far. Just stay close. Do the things that I'm teaching you. Come back. We'll debrief it. And then go do it again. Come back. We'll debrief it. And we see this happening in the Gospels. There's that one time, you may remember, that they try to cast a demon out of that little boy, and it doesn't go well. It doesn't work. And they come back, and they're like, Jesus, why didn't that work? And Jesus has some strategy to give them in that case about the role of fasting and overcoming demons, right? But I think that's kind of the space that Jesus and his disciples are existing in. He gives them territory to do mission in. Now, I mentioned that Jesus got a hold of my heart young, and I was filled, filled with this, like, 
zeal for evangelism, probably by the time I was a teenager. But with that came a lot of pressure and a lot of guilt. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way when it comes to like sharing the gospel with your friends or family or being on mission with Jesus in the community. But somehow we think that guilt and fear and shame are somehow going to be good motivators for mission. And I want you to know, it, that always makes us flame out. It never keeps us going with God in the world, right? So I can remember like getting on my bus as a high school student and um, thinking, man, all these people are going to hell and it's on me, right? Because I'm on this bus. And so there I am like trying to tell my friends about Jesus at like seven in the morning, my high school friends, not interested, right? And I remember feeling that way in grocery stores. And it's like everywhere I went, I was like, oh my gosh, this is on me. You know what I mean? Like I, I have to do this. But I see something different here in how Jesus is working with his disciples. Here, eventually he's going to tell them, go to the nation. But here he says, Actually, just stay close. Like, don't go further. There's other people who need this message. But right now, just stay here. He gives them a territory to begin experiencing the kingdom in. And that makes me ask this morning, what's the territory that Jesus has given to us for mission in the world? Um, here's a clue. If you wonder, like, what's the territory that he's given you? It's very similar to what he's done with the disciples here. The territory that he's given you is probably where you're already at, right? It's probably already in that school, already in that neighborhood, already in that network of friendships, already at, at work or where you play or whatever. Like, that's probably it. It's probably where he wants to give you eyes to begin to see where the kingdom of God is at work, to begin asking. One of my favorite questions to ask on mission is just, what's next, God? Like, just to begin to ask, like, God, what's next? What's the next conversation? What's the next act of service? What's the next way I can pray? What's the next thing you want to do in this McDonald's? What's the next thing you want to do in this neighborhood? What's the next thing you want to do in this classroom, right? And just asking God that begins to open up our minds and our hearts to have eyes to see where he's working in the world, right? But actually, the mission is on him. Like, it's not on us. We are just observers. We just pay attention. We just uncover it, right? And then we get to participate with what God is doing. It's like I just said yesterday. Like, we've actually been praying for a couple years now that God would bring us into relationship with Spanish speakers in Western Pennsylvania. I live in a predominantly African-American community, but all of a sudden we have um, uh, Spanish speakers moving into our neighborhoods. My kids are, are friends with you know, some families that speak Spanish, and we've just been asking God, God, would you, would you just connect us with what you're doing? Like, What are you doing? What's next among Spanish speakers? in Western Pennsylvania. And then yesterday I show up at this party not knowing who's gonna be there and there's over 100 Spanish speakers, right, in this room. We just get to pay attention to what God is already doing in the world. And the joy becomes ours, right, to join into that work. So he gives them designated territory. Next, he tells them that as they proclaim this message, that they should cast out demons and heal the sick and cleanse those who have leprosy and raise the dead. So he gives them a family on mission, he gives them designated territory, and then he delegates to them his authority. Um, 
This kingdom, which all of Jesus' preaching and ministry, you may know this, but all of Jesus' preaching and ministry can be summed up in the first words of Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel. That really is the summary statement of everything that Jesus teaches in the gospel. All of his parables are about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a field, a farmer, a table, right? He's trying to teach us what the kingdom is like. In the whole ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking in on earth. How can you tell where the kingdom is? How do we notice it? It's because the kingdom of God is manifesting wherever what is wrong is being made right, wherever what is sick is being healed, where whatever is chaotic is being brought to order, where those who are left out are being brought in, right? The kingdom of God, which is a future reality that someday we will experience for all eternity, is breaking into the present. And we can see it now. It's actually the future, breaking into the present. When God begins to work in our communities, it's that future kingdom where there's no sickness, where the poor are included, where the broken are healed, where all of those good things of the kingdom happen, when we begin to see that now, it's the future breaking into the present. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting them to a future kingdom. But it's not just, hey, someday you'll die and you'll get to go experience it. What Jesus is preaching is that future kingdom that someday you will experience for all eternity is here now. And here's what it looks like. Every time Jesus casts out a demon, it's the kingdom of God overcoming the demonic, right? It's a future down payment on the defeat of the devil, right? Every time a sick person gets healed, every time Jesus touched them and they got healed, it's that future kingdom where there is no sickness, breaking in on the present, right? But here's the amazing thing. God just gives his stuff away. Like, this is, this is the, what Pentecost is about in Acts chapter 2, that God has all this stuff, this kingdom, with all this healing and grace and power and the defeat of the devil and the healing of our bodies and all these things, and he just gives this stuff away. He just gives it. Um, and so he does it here with the disciples, which is pretty incredible to me because I'm not even sure they really know who he is yet. I'm not sure they really understand what he's calling them to. I'm not sure they really get it, you know? And Jesus isn't like, hey, sit down and learn, and when you get all the answers right on the test, then I'll give you the kingdom. It's amazing. Have you ever thought about this? I don't I want to go down a rabbit trail. But you can believe that Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, was also one of the people who performed miracles. That somehow the kingdom of God is so generous that God even gives to his enemies. That God even gives to the, to the people who are going to betray him, right? And we know that because we were his enemies, right? And he gave to us. Now here's why this encourages me so much on following Jesus on mission. It, because it means, I don't know the particular needs of your, your community. If you came to my community, um, I would be able to take you around the neighborhoods I live in and tell you what bad news looks like for Aliquippa. I don't know what bad news looks like for Newcastle. Every community has its own bad news. I don't know what bad news looks like for your schools or what bad news looks like for your streets or what bad news looks like for your businesses, but I bet you could tell me. I bet you could tell me what it's looked like here over the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the manifestation of bad news in this community. But I'm here to tell you today that no matter what that bad news looks like, when you have been sent with a family into designated territory, you are also sent with delegated authority. It's not your authority. 
but you are sent with all the power of this kingdom. It means there's no demon out there that you're going to face that the kingdom of God can't overcome. It means that there's no sickness out there that you're going to face that God can't heal. It means that there's no kind of brokenness in your school or street where the kingdom of God isn't able to begin working in the most unexpected way. That gives me a lot of confidence. And I want to tell you, I was praying this morning. I was actually driving around your community some this morning praying for you. But that actually gives me a lot of hope. These, these aren't cheap words I'm sharing with you. I was thinking this morning, I don't pull it up all the time, but for some reason I did. I have a list in my phone. Maybe it's because yesterday I was at a funeral for someone um, who uh, died in their 30s. I'm not going to get into their whole story, but they died in their 30s because it was just a long, complicated story, and a lot of people that I do mission with have been ministering to this guy for many years, and I was at that funeral. And this morning, I pulled up a list in my phone. He's the 16th person like that that I've lost now to overdose or violence or like long-term prison sentences. All of these are people that we've prayed for. So I'm not telling you this in a cheap way this morning. You need to know that about me. This isn't just like, oh, everything's going to be okay. That's not what I'm saying. Actually, you get on mission with Jesus, you will cry harder than you ever had in your life. I want to promise you, because we engage evil in all its forms in our community when we follow Jesus on mission. It brings us close to the places where everything is life and death and the devil's trying to snatch lives away, right? It, Jesus calls us to those places. But what I am telling you is even as I was looking at that list this morning on my phone, which I don't pull it up very often, I still have this testimony that the kingdom of God is showing up, that we never face this stuff alone. I don't understand everything. I don't understand the places where it feels like the devil is winning and God isn't. But I'm telling you that we go with this kingdom, right? That this kingdom is enough, that this kingdom is overcoming, and somehow even in all the pain, if the kingdom was still working when Jesus was breathing his last breath on that cross, we can believe the kingdom is still working even when people are overdosing and dying. The kingdom is still working even when people are going to prison. The kingdom is still working when violence is threatening in our streets. We can believe that the kingdom of God is still at work. Amen? Amen. His kingdom is still moving. And that gives me confidence. It lets me keep going. But this isn't about me and the authority that I have or don't have. This is about God's authority in the world. And I'm just participating in what he's doing. So we have a family on mission, designated territory, delegated authority. And then this is the last part and maybe the best part. And I'm going to wrap up here. Jesus tells them to take nothing with them. I mean, this is bizarre instructions. He says, go cast out demons and preach the good news and do all this stuff. And also, oh, by the way, don't take anything. It's like, Jesus, can we take a few dollars? No. What about an extra shirt? Nope. Right? He tells them to go with nothing. Now, this is very interesting to me because I think this is the opposite of how we often think about mission. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about what we don't have, and then we never go. It's like, oh, we don't have enough money to reach our community. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough programs. Or even on a personal level, I don't have the right words. I don't have the right ideas. I don't, we think about all these things, thinking about how it disqualifies from being 
on mission with Jesus, either as individuals or as a church. We spend a lot of time thinking about what we don't have and how that means we can't follow Jesus on mission. Jesus is like, even if you do have it, if you think you have words, if you think you have enough money, if you think you have the right programs, if you think you have the right ideas, if you think you have enough people, he's like, actually, leave all that stuff at home. Why would Jesus talk that way to his disciples? It's because, this is my last point, he sends them with embraced poverty. Why would he do that? Well, you just finished the Beatitudes, so you should know. Quiz time, right? That the kingdom belongs to who? The poor, right? So much so, do you know, our poverty is the only place that Jesus meets us. Like, our poverty of spirit, our economic poverty, the poverty of our bodies, our relational poverty. It's the only place that Jesus meets us. If, if we think we met Jesus somewhere else, in our self-sufficiency, if Jesus was some kind of like addition onto our already sufficient lives, I'm not sure we've actually met him. I'm not sure we've actually encountered him. It's always in our poverty that he meets us. And in that place, he can do anything. And what he says here is when it comes to following him on mission, to actually embrace poverty. To actually figure out how to become weak. To actually figure out how to become vulnerable. To actually go low with our neighbors. To not be the people that always have to have the right words and the right programs. And we spend a lot of time stressing out about that stuff as individuals and as churches. But the bar is very, very low to be on mission with Jesus. It's like, you don't got anything? Good. As a matter of fact, you don't have anything? Even better. Because if you think you have something to offer to the mission of God, you probably need to leave it at home. Right? It's actually in becoming weak. It's actually in admitting that we don't have the words, that we don't have the ideas. This is why prayer is so connected to mission, because prayer is fundamentally reminding ourselves that we are poor. It's coming to God and saying, we can't do it, God, but we know you can do something in Newcastle. We can't do it, but we know you can do something in our streets. It's embracing poverty as a people and then watching God's grace come in and do the rest, right? And so it means that the barrier is very low. I don't care what you don't have or how you think you're unqualified. Some of the best people that I've seen be on mission with Jesus weren't the most qualified. They weren't clergy. They weren't anyone like that. They were the most ordinary, broken people who just said yes to Jesus. And God took that yes and turned it into something for their community and their neighborhood. And this is why we turn to the table. If you could, why don't you go ahead and these little cups here, we use them at the Gospel Tabernacle too. They're so crinkly. So why don't you go ahead and get your crinkles out. <laughs> this is why we turn to the table. Because here's the good news. This, this sermon honestly would not be good news if it's just like a rah-rah a kind of sermon. Like, oh, you should find a family on mission. And you should go into your designated territory and you should recognize that you have delegated authority and you should, uh, um, you know, embrace poverty. That's actually not good news. That's just a try harder kind of message. It might be true, but it's not exactly the gospel. Um, here's the good news. And it's why the tables is a perfect place to end today. It's that Jesus himself made us part of his family. That's good news. 
that God sets the lonely in families, that God gave us siblings in the faith. He did that. And not because we deserved it, but just because he loved us. The good news is that God looked at this tiny planet in a tiny galaxy and said, I'm going to make that my designated territory. I'm going to send my son to that where he's not going to be recognized and seen and understood. And I'm going to send myself there, right? And make all of that brokenness, all of that rebellion, I'm going to make the enemies of God the territory of my grace, right? The good news is that, I already said it, God is giving his stuff away, that this authority is dealt, that we, we live in a time when God is being gracious and merciful and just giving all that he has to us, that we receive fullness upon fullness, grace upon grace from his fullness, that he is just giving him, so that his disposition, his posture in human history and now is to bless, that judgment is his strange act, Right? that he gives himself to us in blessing first, that he extends himself to us, right? He has delegated to us his authority. And then this good news, maybe the best news of all, is not just that God is calling us to embrace poverty as the way to do mission in the world, but that God embraced poverty, that God in Jesus became weak among us, that God left the riches of heaven to come, that God became vulnerable, Right? And it's in the weakness of God that his strength was put on display. Right? It's his weakness, as it says, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that is stronger than the strength of men. That the weakness of God has accomplished this among us. And if, and if that's what God's weakness did, it means there's room for our weakness too. It means there's room for our vulnerability too. It means whatever's broken or messed up about us, there's room for. Let's pray together. So God, we just thank you for this good news that you're giving yourself to us, that you became weak among us, that, that you made us your territory and that you've put us in a family. And Lord, we just remember that this is a family meal we're about to partake in. It's a, it's a weak meal. It's a small wafer and a little bit of juice. But this meal is also enough. Lord, would you meet us as we take together with your grace and your power. We pray that your grace would be in the room. God, to cleanse us from our sin. Uh, That your grace would be in the room to heal our bodies as we take this meal together. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I don't know how you normally take communion. I'm a guest here, but I'll, I'll lead us in taking it, all right? On the night that Jesus was betrayed to suffering and death, he took into his holy hands the bread. And after he had given thanks to his Father in heaven, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And on that same night, when he was betrayed to suffering and death, he took into his holy hands the cup And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And scripture tells us that as long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. And the cry of his church is even so. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's drink together.
Amen. Chuck, could you come and give us our benediction? If that's what's next, I don't know. We have another song? Great. Let's worship together.